the, the, the closing's done, and now we're into the integration portion of it. Yeah. So I just want to thank everybody for being here. If you haven't been with us before, or you're listening on the on the web, um, we are in the middle of a, a study um, of First and Second Peter, and have been uh, tremendously excited about what God's doing. I don't know about you, but in my heart and uh, in um, this study um, uh, collectively, we are um, uh, we're in chapter um, two here and. Uh, uh, today we're going to be primarily focused in verses um, 11 and 12. And uh, up till now, we, la- we just finished going through a number of um, uh, specific areas, um, talking about our spiritual privileges over the last five weeks here. Um, these 12 spir- spiritual privileges that um, we have uh, gone through in detail um, have, have given us, hopefully... Um, just an incredible understanding of the, what it means to, to be a ch- child of the living God. And uh, just any thoughts, just if you've been with us, you know, and you happen to be able to kind of interact on that first question that you might um, just draw out and, and uh, publicly declare God's goodness and His character and his, the way in which He interacts with us um, for everybody this morning here. Any thoughts on that at all? Something I thought my testimony was like saved from something. I was a good kid, but as I've seen it, the privilege of having access to God and and His election of my my soul, in spite of everything I was going to still do. Yes. That that, and it's just such a um. To it makes my heart go. Oh. Yes. Yes. Amen. I. Are you kidding me? It's like um, you read back these, and it's like my heart just. Uh, bubbles, it bubbles literally with um, kind of the, the ferv- fervent bubbling, you know, when I read through these and go through them, you know, uh, just in remem- you know, remembering them and going through them, what we've studied and everything else. Any other thoughts? Mark, you know, I'm always, you know, I, you know the, mm. once you not receive mercy, Amen. You know, and fail Amen. Thank you for sharing that, George. Any others? Yes. The Illuminati. Yeah. Amen. And be redeemed. Amen. Non believer can read the exact same things and not not get it, right? Yeah. Yeah, any other thoughts? And that he chose me oh to my age goodness. Of thirteen. Oh my goodness. And uh, that just that he chose me. What a blessing and a privilege. Oh my god. Mary, you're going to make me cry. Uh, uh, well, don't do it. I'll be crying. And it is my privilege to glorify Him in whatever way I can, Amen. which I fail many times. Amen. So not Amen. It's a great love. Others. Well, good. Um, well, uh, our time together is uh, have, we, we have um, transitioned um, from this section from verses one. Chapter one, verse three to chapter two, verse ten, which has been really primarily focused about our past, and uh, really set the set the stage for the things we just talked about, which is this incredibly grand finale of of Peter's about this this so great a salvation that we have and this living hope that we lit that we have to live our lives with. And now we're going to make a, a marked transition from from the past to this application component, which is we call it this our present, which is to remember our testimony. And in the midst of remembering our testimony, just have a, a multi-dimensional, multifaceted um, discussion by Peter that 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 literally allows us to now take what we just learned over here and apply it in like day-to-day, uh, day-to-day things we go through. Relationships, engagements, situations. And he's going to bring all of these out, which, interestingly enough, are all things that we struggle in navigating day in and day out ourselves. And so, from chapter 2, verse 11, through chapter 4, verse 6, is going to be the bulk of of what we're going to talk about in how to navigate life. And, and I want to just say on the very front end of this is, like it, it closes there, is that how we navigate life like really, 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 really matters on multidimensional fronts. Our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, 
and our ability to make and have a profound impact in this world for Christ. How many in this room want to have a profound impact in this world for Christ? Raise your hands. Okay, good. That's for all of us as we go through this time together. Then we'll finish up uh, our future, remembering a living hope, and uh, uh, the closing time. So our overall command is what I'm calling chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, our overall command. And before we read it, I want to give you the learning objectives that I want to accomplish in our time together today. I'm going to be going relatively quickly, okay? And if you'll turn to the second, second page of your outline, you'll find this learning objective there. And you'll notice it's, in, it's, in, it's encased with this picture on the fo- top right side here of spiritual warfare. And my learning objective for us today goes as, goes as follows. That because we understand, uh, I should maybe add, because we're coming to understand. I don't think any of us really truly understand how important this is. Okay, Because we're coming to understand that our intimacy with God... And the testimony that we have to a watching world are literally held hostage to the decisions of our heart. And that we would learn in our time together today how to proactively say no to sin by developing a thirst for what I'm going to term a a much sweeter song. A much sweeter song. And what does that mean? What it means is that we would have the ability to understand that my intimacy and my walk and my communion and my fellowship with God and my ability to have a profound impact on this world for Christ in my life day in and day out literally hinges on the decisions of my soul by which that will be determined by my ability to understand which is the sweeter song in my decision-making criteria of my life. That make sense? What does it mean? What do I mean by a sweeter song? Any thoughts? Pardon me. A different, walk. different walk. Okay. How, how about a greater value? How, how about like coming to grips with the deception of sin? How about coming to grips with the the, the, the greater value that it is to walk with God? How about the ability to be able to make the final decision in my heart and my soul to, to please God versus myself because I know what that tastes like and I never want to lose that again. In fact, it's so much greater than it is that this world has to offer. Make sense? Yeah? As we come to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, um, Cheryl, would you read this out loud for us? Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, fleeing from fleshly lusts, would wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in things which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay. Um, turn with me uh, to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. <laughs> Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. Whoever gets there first, just start reading it out loud. For the grace of God is appeared for salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and passions, and to self-control, upright, and godly in the present age. So, what is it that's going to allow us to be able to deny ungodliness, which uh, basically is this, this concept of saying no to sin? What is it that's going to do that in verse 11? The grace of God. I submit that if we can come to grips with a fresh, personal, experiential understanding of the grace of God in my life, just just like George articulates so well, okay, I believe this is the antidote to sin as we go through our time together. Okay? So, so... Christians throughout all time have had the ability to to have a profound impact in their world for Christ. Um, Wilbur Smith, um, who was a, a famed apologist towards the end of uh, Second World War, says said the following: 
At first, one would think that a religion which exalts and seeks to follow the only perfect and righteous man who has ever lived on this earth, who never harmed anyone, whose words delivered from superstition and fear, whose works redeemed from pain and demons and death and hunger, whose life has had was a great shaft of light shot into the murky darkness of the Roman world in that sensual skeptic and century who died because he loved us and who always sought to bring men into communion with God to bestow upon them eternal life and a home in heaven, one would have thought that such a character in the religion which his life and work on earth established would have been welcomed with opened arms from the very first moment it was announced and would by its very message the good works which flowed from it and the hope which it established never know opposition or attack or denunciation except from the demons of hell and Satan who is a liar and murderer from the beginning but such has not been its history in fact the New Testament itself from the records of birth of, of the birth of our Lord Jesus down to the end of St. John's vision uh, of the era of anarchy and persecution to come testifies in the most startling way to the fact that Christ himself was most viciously and constantly attacked and his apostles suffered the same opposition and that it was predicted by those very apostles that Christianity would continue to suffer down to this very age. Robert Robert Leighton, a commentator, said this, When a Christian walks irreprovably, his enemies have nowhere to fasten their teeth on him, but are forced to gnaw their own malignant tongues. As it secures the godly, thus to stop the lying mouths of foolish men, so it is painful to them to be thus stopped, as muzzling is to beasts, and it punishes their malice. And this is... And this is a wise Christian's way. Instead of impatiently fretting at the mistakes or willful miscensures of men, to keep still, be calm, keep their temper of mind, and upright and course of life, and silent innocence. This, as a rock, breaks the waves into foam that roar upon it. Amen. Amen. Um, well, as we think about uh, our time together, I want to cover five major points, um, and all of it talking about this overall command that my life would be a testimony. The first is going to be God's inter- God, godly internal decisions that we're going to do. We're going to cover that in, in, in verse 11. Then, be, then we're going to take, they're going to jump out of First Peter and we're going to look at an anatomy of temptation in our life. We're going to look at the nature of temptation. We're going to look at developing intimacy with God. And then we're going to come back to First Peter chapter 2, verse 12 and talk about godly external testimony. Okay? Ready to go? All right. So, living a godly life, a few, I want to give you three major bullets tied to um, introduction. Living a godly life is the single most striking and effective foundation to making the gospel winsome. What's the word winsome mean? Attractive, okay? You know, great to view, to look at, to want to know more, okay? Attractive and believable. Turn with me to Matthew 5, 16. Matthew 5, verse 16. Anybody got that? Read it out loud. So the whole purpose of my life in living my life how I live it is to not show up to people, but it is to do it in a way that glorifies God. When I glorify God in the way in which I live, it will then be winsome, attractive, and believable to those around me. It's about my perspective. It's about why I do what I do. I don't do it to show those people. I do it to please God. And when I please God, then those people are attracted and winsome and and, and my actions are believable. Does that make sense? Very different perspective. Very different perspective. Okay? Peter's readers need motivation to persevere in their evangelism in the midst of a stressful and difficult trials and persecutions that they were encountering. That gives me great hope personally because now I understand that just like them, my life absolutely matters. The decisions of my heart that I make today absolutely make a world of difference because somehow God is up in heaven looking down on all mankind and looking to see whose hearts are fully His and therefore that He can use to be able to accomplish His purposes on planet Earth. And I want to be one of those men. I want to be one of those men who in fact He can look down and says, He's ready. He's got his head on straight. He's got the right attitude. He is wanting to please me versus himself. Now I can begin my process of working through him. Amen. Yeah. 
Our outward testimony is always forged on the anvil of the decisions of our heart to please God more than ourselves. If you could take one thing away from our entire morning, I want you to take this quote away. Uh, um, made up this morning or yesterday, and it was like, this makes total sense. I get it because my decisions are like baked and, and, and built and, and hammered out on this anvil. And when I make that decision, then that decision actually has incredibly eternal consequences. And, I, and, and, and if you haven't seen that yet before, that, that your testimony is built on the decisions of your heart, then let that be the beginning today. Uh, I found it incredibly consequential in my personal life um, in the way in which I desire to want to please God. And he starts this whole thing off, if you would, by saying, Beloved, I urge you. As beloved by God, we are objects of His love, and therefore we, we should want, as just as George said earlier, our, our, the craving of, our, of the passionate pursuit of our souls should literally be about how do we reciprocate to Him. He calls us beloved. He begins this entire whole section on how we navigate our life in this world with this one name that He calls all of us collectively, His Beloved. Wow, beloved, beloved, that, that has a ring to it that, that, that takes me to a place that says, I'm chosen. It's just like, just like Mary said this morning, I mean, my goodness, I've been chosen by God. Wow, that takes my self-esteem to a different place, completely. I am now in a realm that says, I am loved by God. I have the ability to make my choices of my life to be able to please Him versus myself. That's my goal. Romans 12.1, he says, I urge you, therefore, um, by the mercies of God, right? By the mercies of God to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Which is your what? Appropriate spiritual um, decision to do. It's just, it's like a no-brainer. It's like, makes sense. Like, what else would you conclude? Yeah, really important. Beloved, I urge you. As aliens and strangers, in order to fulfill this exhortation by Peter, we must remember that we don't live as a part of, we live alongside. And we live alongside in a way that, according to Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, that we are what? We are, we are citizens of heaven. We are not citizens of this earth. And because we're citizens of, of heaven, that... We are not members of the, of, of the society and the culture and the system that this world uh, has. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes that I struggle with that. I struggle with that. Just, just concluding that and, and going to work every day with that mindset. And like, like the way in which I just interact with people, you know, it, it's got to change sometimes because I. I can't be, I can't, I can't, I can't have transforma- transformational um, uh, uh, capabilities with people who are in this world society and system if I'm a part of it. I can't do that. And so, so many times we're not effective in our lives, I think, because we are living in the midst of it and actually have a mindset as a part of it and haven't concluded that we are separate from it and that we have a different home. Aliens here describes a person who lives in a country that's not their own. They're a foreigner. Strangers is a very similar word. Uh, And here it refers to a visitor or a pilgrim who travels through a country, interestingly enough, stays there briefly, only briefly, and, um, but but all in, the key thing here is that they're on way home. There's another destination. They haven't put down tent, uh, concrete, uh, uh, foundations. They have tent pegs because they're still on the way to home. And um, turn with me to Hebrew, uh, to Hebrews chapter thirteen. Um, if there's one thing that um, chapter eleven, excuse uh, me, ten, uh, brought forward is this um, perspective that we are not. Of this world, chapter thirteen, verse uh, fourteen um, says this: "For we do not have a lasting city; lasting is eternal. Um, but we are seeking the city which is to come. What city is this? 
It's the new Jerusalem that in Revelation chapter 21 says it's coming down out of heaven from God. That, that, that 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says that Paul saw this city in paradise, which is the new Jerusalem, which is in the presence of God. It has been fully built. Go back to chapter 10 of Hebrews. Let's look at, uh, um, excuse me, chapter 11, 11, 13, I'm sorry. Um, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a a distance. Uh, Whenever I read that passage, everybody remember that song. From a distance. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. And having confessed that they were strangers and aliens, uh, uh, exiles on earth, for those who say, who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, because of that, As a result, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and He has prepared a city for them. Amen. Amen. It says, well, what's the command? What's the command, Peter? Now that you've built us as beloved and strangers and aliens, what's the command you want us? What's the command that you're going to give us here that's going to extend through the rest of these four chapters? Well, glad you asked. Um, It's to abstain from philosophy of us. Our regeneration has produced in us godly longings. But there's a problem here. And that problem is that that internal spirit, life force that has has given us this new creation um, is is housed in this unredeemed humanness called our flesh. And and the problem is, is that it's incarcerated within there. And as a result, it sets up an ongoing battle between our spirit and our flesh. An ongoing battle between our spirit and our flesh. And as a result of this ongoing battle, what we see is that, I mean, even Paul struggled with this, with this day-to-day battle. Um, believers are no longer slaves of sin. We are free from its dominant and exclusive power. Um, the command by Peter precludes when he says when he says uh, um, when he says abstain from fleshly lusts the assumption that has to be brought to bear in reading that is that somehow God has given us the capability to do the command that he has commanded us and so we cannot have this victim mentality my goodness I've you know my genes are that way or you know I grew up this way and it's woe is me we're going to finish today by by giving you some some incredible sense of confidence in our ability to navigate life well and and to, and to say no to sin in our life okay so the command by peter produces uh, it precludes that we have the ability to abstain uh, by our new life okay and number 2 the resurrection power of the indwelling spirit you know um Paul says in um, in uh, Philippians, you know, he, uh, he said, Ephesians, excuse me, he says, you know, um, uh, 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 immeasurably beyond all um, all uh, everything I have, I ask, you know, he will do. And, and if we really believe that, then then we 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 have to conclude that he has the ability to help us navigate this 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 trial, this temptation that I struggle with personally. Then I have to conclude that um, God promises this is even possible in a postmodern culture dominated by sensuality, immorality, and moral relativism. Do you really think? I mean, I mean, I mean, you may come back and say yes. So um, let's have a conversation about it, right? But do you really think that our society is any more evil and 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 uh, uh, sensual and immoral, you know, than Corinth? I would suggest it's probably not as bad. <laughs> Okay, so if 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 God has said you can do this in our, then we can do this now. Fleshly lusts are not limited to sexual in nature, but rather they encompass the entire penalty. There's a good word for you. Um, <laughs> the entire pers- uh, perspective of 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 human um, uh, sinful human humanity's sinful nature. Um, we will struggle with this war 
until we see Christ. Turn to uh, Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 23. We will struggle with this. This is not something that I'm going to come, you're going to finish this morning and go, I got it. I don't have to deal with it anymore. I got the real answer this morning. You know, I wish I'd been there before. And you know what? I'm going to walk away with, uh, with that and I won't have to deal with this anymore. No, it's not going to happen. Okay? Um, Romans 8.23. Somebody got that? Read it out loud. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, ourselves grown within our waiting eagerly our adoption as sons in our body. Amen. So when will that redemption take place of our body? It will be when we see Christ. Amen. We'll be see Christ, right? I'm so encouraged. I can see it. He's coming again. No, Philippians 2. Exactly. But it's it's funny because it's writing. It's faded. It's been there so long, and I don't still don't get it. Okay, here's your here's your to do this week is to pull it down and trace back over it. Great, I love it. Bring it back out and put rigor back in it, right? Um, it's, it's important for you to know that these fleshly lusts wage war against our souls. They wage war against our souls. It's the very character of these lusts to wage war against us. Um, Paul talks about his struggle in Romans 7. I'm not going to go there due to time, but you all know the passage. You know, the good that I would, I do not do. Who will, set, who, who will free me from this from this body of sin that I deal with every day, right? Those are Paul's personal experiential testimony. I mean, and, and somehow we think we're above it all? Please, okay? We are all in the firefight together. And the important thing to notice here is that wage war actually means to carry out a long-term military campaign. It, it's a long-term military campaign. Um, when... Uh, when we, when, we, when we concluded that we were going to go to war against extremism, Muslim extremists, um, th- that was a, a war that was not a normal war. Terrorists, not a normal war. There isn't like this com- country over there that says, okay, big, big, big letters across there, right? You know, we flag the flag of terrorism, right? I mean, terrorism is like across the world. It's, sub- it's clandestine and it's subversive and it's all over the place. And that's the same thing that's going on here. It's, it's, it's a long-term military campaign. It's not just being antagonistic. and It's relentless. It's never-ending. It's malicious. It's aggressive. And it's a fight to the death. And if we didn't understand that in terrorism, we do today. And it is the same thing that's going on in my soul. Okay? It's because it, takes, because it takes place in our souls, it is actually a civil war. It's actually a civil war that's going on. And not only that, but um, the meaning here is that uh, this clandestine terror cell is waging an internal search and destroy mission to conquer my soul. And it never, 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 never sleeps or rests. It's always on steroids. It's always there. And it's always uh, has, has my worst um, interest at heart. The key to defeating fleshly temptations in our lives is to walk in the resurrection power of the Spirit of God. And to exercise godly discipline. Walk in the Spirit of God and exercise godly discipline. Turn with me to, um, turn with me to um, Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. Please. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Desire against the Spirit. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that... So, the nature of this, t- this temptation of the flesh is that it, it is that it wants us to do the things that we please, that, that please us. The nature of it. He says, how do we keep from have, having that occur? It's by walking in the Spirit. So, how do we walk in the Spirit? Big $30,000 question, right? How do we walk in the Spirit? How does that happen? Like, literally in your heart as the day goes on, how does it happen? Talk to me. Prayer. Give me some, give me some examples. Not specific examples of temptation necessarily, but, but how does that happen? Quoting Scripture, okay? Memorizing Scripture. Bringing it to bear at the right time in the middle of the firefight. 
being aware of what's going on in your head. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, because you've seen this movie before. Maybe. Yeah. Yes. 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 It is. It is an ongoing decision-making process. Because I would suggest that literally the outcomes that we're talking about here, uh, as we're going to see through the nature and anatomy of temptation, have actually to do with decisions of my heart. Yep. Nothing else. And for me to not decide, I actually decided. Okay. Exactly. In shaking the bottle, right? Yep. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, Lisa. High road to low road. One thing we've got to worry about and be constantly aware of, if you take the high road, that doesn't mean you sit back and relax, you're always on the high road. Those decisions are going to come at you time after time, time after time. time. Again. And you're going to have to continually Make. choose the high road. Mm. Or you're going to go on the low road. Mm. Amen. Lisa, you are going to say something? Yeah. So if you feel that, you've, it is the Spirit of God... Uh, pricking your conscience, giving you input, right? Yellow zone, yellow zone. <laughs> yes, very much so. Yes, thank you for sharing that. Um, okay, um, anatomy of temptation. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, James chapter 1, verse thir- 13 through 16. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. I want to walk you through an anatomy of temptation. Would somebody read that out loud? One thirteen through sixteen. Okay, so um, what's the pronouncement that we find in verse thirteen? Okay, why? Okay, and and he personally doesn't tempt anyone. So this is a this is a challenge for some people to deal with. Okay, and I'm not, we don't have time today to deal with it, but. You know, does God? The, the point here is: Does God tempt anyone to evil and want them to fail, like Satan does? The answer is no. Does God tempt anyone at all? Yeah, He does. If you want to look at Matthew four verse one, it says the Spirit of God led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted. So this is an important point, and do not miss it. Okay, is that God brings things in our lives. But, but he's in the background rooting for us to always win. Okay, Jesus was tempted. But God didn't want Jesus to fall, fail. The temptations and the trials were about building him up. And, and, and he would always move, change, decide it this way, right? But in our lives, that's not always the case. And so he wants us to develop and become more like Christ. That's his purpose, right? So... I don't know about you, but I'm not going to do that if I don't have trials and temptations and, 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 and issues in my life to deal with. Because every time I make a decision here versus here, that's another step towards walking closer with God, right? Perfect point. That's another good example. Yeah, great example. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's verse 12, verse, tw- verse uh, 13. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust okay lust is the word desire so when do, how does how does temptation start it's by being quote carried away and enticed this word carried away is this it's it's the idea of it comes from like a fishing metaphor right or you can use a lot of different metaphors um, fishing metaphor is pretty good you know, you're at the side of a river or something, and you throw out what? A lure. Okay, a lure's thrown out, and it goes by what? The fish, right? So the fish sees it. Goes, I really don't like shiny metal. <laughs> you know, <laughs> thanks, but no thanks, right? Boom, 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 boom. Another one goes out. Change the lure to you know, meaty worm. You know, long worm. Ooh, that's. I like that one. <laughs> I didn't like all those other seventeen that you threw by me. Okay, okay. That 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 quote that 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 entice that word enticed is lure, bait. Okay, carried away is brought through. Okay, so that what I would either take advantage, t- t- take notice of it, right, or I don't take notice of it. I take notice of it, or I don't take notice of it. But I take notice of it. Now, what? Decision. Decision of heart, right? I can either what? 
stay locked on it and follow it to pursue it, right? Get the get where we're at right now, okay? And he says, he says, each one's tempted when he's carried away by his own lust. My lust is not, my lust is very different than maybe Cheryl's, maybe different than Connie's, maybe different than, than Herb's, okay? Very different. God has wired us completely different. Our, my passions are different than everybody else's in this room. And, and he has wired us completely, distinctively differently. But in some things we have common. Some things we're different. Okay? But it's my own lust. Verse 15. Then when lust, the desire for that thing, okay, has conceived, gone from where I was just, I was just swimming along in the river here to like I'm going to go fast after that thing. Okay? So I went after that thing, okay, that process of going was just fine and dandy to going after that thing, okay, that's what he's saying here, is when, um, when it's conceived, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. So, so when did sin occur here, in my metaphor? It wasn't when I was fine and dandy, right? Was it when I looked at it? When I made a decision to do what? Pursue it. I may never get it, but the very fact that I went after it says it got me. Make sense? Very different. It, when it gets me, it became sin. See? Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And, and he and his henchmen, okay, have been watching, watching for a long time. And they have seen the areas that we are... We, are, we struggle with and, and, and that are hard for us. And he has made a conscientious decision in the battle plan that he set out for the very, you know, for, for our very souls, okay, and our intimacy with God to pursue the things that work the best. Okay? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And so how do we um, become on, how do we become filled up with God so that we're not we, we recognize it. We'll never not recognize this, okay? But we, we conscientiously make the call here versus here in our lives. Yeah, and see it coming, which is what we said here earlier, right? Um, so then he says, um, uh, carry away. So lust conceived gives birth to sin. So how, many, how much of the time does it ha- happen when I go past the then at the beginning of verse 15 and it gives birth to sin? Is there any leakage here? Leakage. In other words, are there any times when I go then and go past that point that it doesn't end in death? The answer is no. The answer is no. 100% of the time when I go past then at the beginning of verse 15, it ends in death. And death here is experiential death. Death is separation from God. Death is I've just put a I've just stabbed the heart of my intimacy with God. I've I put a I've, I've I literally put a, a dagger in it. Okay. All, always brings death. Gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So the product of my decision is 100% of the time death. 100% of the time. So let's build it out. Fill in blanks. The lure comes along. I track on it. If I say yes to it, it's, uh, it now becomes a temptation. Can I still get out of the? Get out of? Can I still bug out of the process? Yeah, I can still bug out, right? Yep. So now I have a choice. I can pursue it or not, right? So if I pursue it, say yes, it becomes what the what James says is is sin. And when I when, when sin it occurs, it begins when we make the decision to pursue it. That's when it becomes sin. Okay. It may or may not actually acquire or lay hold of the catch, but it has laid hold of us. So sin comes into fruition. It never was there before. It was only temptation. It becomes sin when I make the decision to pursue. Does that make sense, everybody? Yeah? Okay. So, 100% of the time, the outcome of my choice is death. The final product that's produced by the process is death. This occurs 100% of the time we choose to pursue it. Okay? Now, here's the good news. Good news is I have two points in the process to bug out. Okay, first one is the first decision. If I have the right spectacles on, which are the Word of God, and I can see this, like we said here, coming, 
and I, you know, I've, I've seen this movie before, right? Okay? I have the 3D glasses on, right? Uh, I can now experience life instead of death just by making that decision to bug out. Secondly, our choice can come out also when the temptations actually comes my way and I decide not to pursue it. So not to track on it and not pursue it. Both are the points in time when I can actually get out of the uh, situation. Now, somebody will read verse 17 for me out loud. Wait, wait, I've got the wrong one. I'm sorry. 16. Of what? Yeah, 16 of James, right? Do not be deceived, my So, do not be deceived. Fully understand this process. Fully understand what God's doing in the process. Don't be deceived. Yes. Every time I say no, every, every time I every time I say no in this process, I'm actually building godliness. I'm building character. I'm becoming more like Christ. See? Yeah. In the wilderness, um, I think it's the second one, because he says the temptations came. They were temptations. He wouldn't have called them temptations if they weren't. It wouldn't have been. It would have been him saying no to sin if it hadn't been a temptation in his life. I, I think. Oh, well, I think most of the time we're all the way through to death, right? <laughs> um, but that's a really good question. So, due to time, let me keep going, guys. Okay. So, anatomy of temptation, right? Okay, I want to talk about the nature of temptation. Uh, the top of page, uh, top of page five, uh, changed the the um, the scripture passage to First Corinthians ten verses eleven through thirteen. First Corinthians ten verses eleven through thirteen. We're going to go pretty quick from here on out, so just keep stay with me and hang in there. First uh, Corinthians ten verse thirteen, eleven through thirteen. Somebody read that out loud. Anybody? Happened to them as an ink written for our instruction upon whom the ever let him who thinks he take heed that he not fall. No as is common to men, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted or able by the way of escape also, so that you were Okay, great. So so let's look through what's happening here. So I want to talk about what I am able and not able to handle, okay? And what you see here is that Satan, okay. As, as Steve was mentioning earlier, knows our situation. Okay, He knows our situation. And he is in the process, as you can see here, of tempting us on multiple fronts. Um, but what's interesting here is that we have this, this, this box around us. And this box around us is the same box that was around Job, which says, but for the providence and sovereignty of God, nothing can come into my box. Nothing. Okay? But what you'll see here, if you'll notice, watch this happen, okay? Because I think this is really powerful to watch. There's a little crack in the seams, right? And that crack, okay, is a specific temptation that gets inserted into now I've become what I call the yellow zone in my life. The yellow zone, okay? And that crack was known, is known by Satan, okay? And, and he's gotten much better at it, okay? As that comes in, then what's interesting is I now can pull out my... You know, my rose-colored glasses, right? My 3D that I had from before, and I can, like, see this coming, right? And I can say, I get it. I get it. But you know what? God has done this. Watch. He's actually created the way of escape. The way of escape. By which I can get out of this situation. And every one of these has one. Okay? So... As we think about this and the nature of temptation, a few few bullet points on the right-hand side. First of all, avoid pride. Pride is the single uh, base case foundation of where all this stuff comes from. He says it right here. He says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. <laughs> that is it. Okay. Second is we aren't unique, and others have endured the same thing. We're not unique. Others have endured the same thing. God is faithful, and God is sovereign. Um, there always will be a way of escape. 100% of the time there will be a way of escape. And we are always and completely, as a result of a 100% way of escape, fundamentally accountable. And we are not victims. We are not victims of the situation or circumstance. Period. End of story. Full stop. And so if, if any of us in this room have been kind of languishing in the realm of a do-loop on, on 
very challenging strongholds in our life, let me just give you great hope and confidence that there's a way out. There's a way out. Now, I may not have it, or I may know about it, and I'm not using it, but there is a way out. And God has given this to us for our for, for, for his purposes. Okay? Um, everybody got that? Okay? Next slide is I want to talk about intimacy with God. Just a real quick picture. Okay? Relational intimacy on the left, low to high, a, a divided heart or mind down below. Okay? And what you'll notice is in the red zone, it's the lowest of both. It's the red zone, the lowest of both. Then we get to the yellow zone. Yellow zone is. Is, uh, is a partially divided mind, and that brings me the lowest amount of intimacy. The green zone and the blue zone then build that out and show me where I want to get to. Now, here's the key thing, okay? Watch this, okay? So, sin drives my intimacy with God to the red zone, and it creates death. Death. As opposed to, if I go the other way, what's happening? The good news is, it's life. It's life. Any, any, any thoughts on that? Just before we go to the last part here on verse 12 that I want to hit on before we close. Does that make sense? I mean, has everybody got the picture? Okay, three, three pictures, right? The anatomy of a, of a temptation and how that works. 100% of the time ends in death, right? Number two is the nature of temptation is there's always a way of escape. God can do it. Number three is that my sin and my decisions will either create intimacy with God or lack of intimacy with God. And as a result, remember, I will either be a testimony for the world, or I won't be a testimony for the world. Now you get the whole picture. The whole picture is, my intimacy with God has a pronounced... uh, um, uh, It it is a sequential issue for me being able to be a testimony for God, for Him. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay? So let's go on and look at number verse 12. We'll go, we'll go through that pretty quick. This, this is your personal assessment that I showed you, remember? We've been working through. Look at number f- uh, 1, 2, 3, 4 down. Do I run from wor- world's fleshly lust and corruption? That's the, we're talking, that's the row we're talking about today. Okay? Right there. Um, so the godly external testimony. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Glorify God in the day of visitation. So the first one here is keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Um, What does this mean? The word excellent actually means beautiful in outward form. Beautiful in outward form. It's similar words um, are used in the scriptures to talk about lovely, fine, winsome, gracious, fair to look at, good looking, <laughs> noble, <laughs> all of the above. Okay? So our, um, our behavior will be viewed by non-believers as excellent when we do these things. Remember in Acts chapter 2, what did it say about what was going on with those who were non-believers when, when 5,000 people came to Christ? It says that they were, that, that they were having a really positive influence on, on all of the, 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 the non-believers, remember? That's what's happening here. Yeah. Gentiles here are, are the nations or non-believers. And he says, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, so evildoers, interestingly enough, there are specific accusations. If in the Roman world that, that was there then, it, these were examples of them here. Rebellion against Rome. They would accuse believers, Christians, of being rebellious to Rome. And it had no, no founding. In fact, it's exactly the thing I just read earlier, right? Second, cannibalism. They take the Lord's Supper. They actually like, like are cannibalistic. You, you can't believe it. I've seen it with my own eyes. <laughs> Incest. Sub, subversive activities. They oppose slavery. That's just the norm, guys. I mean, get over it. Um, practicing atheism. This was an interesting one. They would, they would, they would say that, that Christians practice atheism. Why? Because the religion of the day was emperor worship. You understand that one, right? But that's what, that's what it was. Okay, um, they may glorify God because of your good deeds. They may, as they observe them, as they observe them, watch that, glorify God in the day of visitation. So, because of our personal testimony, some are going to be saved, 
Some people are going to be saved. They're going to watch our testimony, and some people are going to be saved. Amen. 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 So when's that going to happen, and how's this going to, when are they going to glorify God? What is this day of visitation here? Um, so uh, in the scriptures, visitation, the word visitation is, is usually meant about God, right? And, and it's, and it, it ha- in the Old Testament, it's more about judgment coming. You know, the day of visitation is talking about judgment. In the New Testament, it's a little bit more, but not completely, about um, blessing to come. Okay? So this could have two perspectives. I, ch- I take the second one. The first one is that it could refer to when Christ comes again. So when Christ comes again, those believers who have come to Christ because of the, your witness and your testimony are going to praise God, glorify Him because of that time. Make sense? Okay. So that's one option. The second option here is I which I believe is it actually refers to the time when God visits these Gentiles with salvation and they come to Christ. He visits these Gentiles with salvation and they come to Christ. Why is that? Because I believe that, that glorifying God is actually going to have a ripple effect into, into the non-believing community, even at a larger ripple effect, and that will just permeate out from the center to cause an amazing thing to happen as a result of my testimony, which I decided to do because I wanted to please God, and it just so happens that somebody else saw that. I wasn't doing it for that purpose. I wasn't doing it for that reason. I wasn't trying to be good in front of them. I was just trying to please God. And, oh, by the way, they happen to see it, and they go, oh, my goodness, something's different, and I get the chance to have a conversation about why I want to please God. That's it. That's amazing. And let me give you a story in closing that just literally... Uh, brought me to tears. Um, here's a stirring 20th century example of how godly living can influence the salvation of unbelievers. And it comes from events of a Japanese prisoner of war camp in the Philippines during World War II. American missionaries Herb and Ruth Klingen and their young son were prisoners of the Japanese for three years. Herb's diary told, him, told how his family's captors tortured, murdered, and starved to death many of the camp's other inmates. The prisoners particularly hated and feared the camp commandant, commandant called Konishi. Herb described one especially diabolical plan Konishi forced on the Klingons um, and their fellow inmates near the end of the war. Konishi found an inventive way to abuse us even more. He increased the food ration, but gave us pale, P-A-L-A-Y, which is, called, which is unhusked rice. Eating rice with its razor-sharp outer shell would cause intestinal bleeding that would kill us in hours. We had no tools to remove the husks, and, and doing the job manually by pounding the grain or rolling it with a heavy stick consumed more calories than the rice would supply. It was a death sentence to all of us as internees. But by divine providence spared the but divine providence spared the Klingons and others in February 1945 when Allied forces liberated the prison camp. That prevented the commandant from carrying out his plan of shooting and killing all surviving prisoners. Years later, the Klingons learned that Konishi had been found working as a groundskeeper at a Manila golf course. He was put on trial for his war crimes and hanged. Before his execution, he professed conversion to Christianity, saying, get this, he had been deeply influenced by the testimony of the Christian missionaries he had persecuted. Effective evangelism flows from the power of a righteous life. Amen. 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 Would somebody like to close us in prayer? Anybody? Connie, will you? So at the beginning of our entire time for this next time of how to navigate life, Peter says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against your souls. Have a great day.